Yeah, I mean, number one is anxiety. Um, anxiety is is on the rise. If you can create a system where people can talk, usually they, the, the issue is solved. They, they start solving themselves. Hey, friends. Welcome to our special edition podcast called Faith at Work. I'm your host, Jen Kelly, joined by my fellow friend and pastor, Corey Shoemate. We get the joy of bringing you conversations that are all about integrating faith and work and why every job matters. We're interviewing Christ followers from a variety of work backgrounds to help stir our imaginations, to give us new insights and practical ways to think about how we live out our faith at work. But today, before Corey introduces our guest, we wanted to take time to highlight another initiative that we are incorporating to our Faith at Work theme. We are doing vocational gatherings. Yes, we are. Yes, we're excited about them. These are... 90-minute events where you'll enjoy a good dinner, take in a specialized presentation regarding your specific vocation, and meet with other people from church who have similar interests and experiences in your field. You can go to ccclife.org backslash faith at work and find a vocational gathering like education, healthcare near you. Yep, there's going to be eight of them. They're going to be great. So uh, this is a wonderful thing that our church is doing. So if you've ever felt alone uh, in your particular vocation, then this is a great chance to connect with other believers and uh, share what it's like in your field and learn how to be salt and light where you are. Well, hey friends, Pastor Corey here. Glad you are joining us. This is exciting. Uh, We are joined today in the studio by a man named Bobby Jackson. Bobby is a part of our church. Bobby received his master's degree from the University of Chicago in social work. Before becoming a licensed therapist, Bobby was a combat medic in the army and also a youth pastor. Two things you don't see go hand in hand. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you used some of those combat medic skills at some of those late night youth group gatherings. Summer camp. um, That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Bobby is also a catalyst. That is his job title with an organization called One Collective serving the city of Elgin, bringing people and organizations together so that, quote, no one is invisible and all people have access to food, freedom, and forgiveness, end quote. Wonderful mission. He founded Rally Point Counseling, which is his own... uh, counseling service and counseling business uh, in Elgin and serves as a therapist and supervisor specializing in working with young people and their families. Bobby, thanks for being with us today, friend. Thank you so much for having me. We are glad to have you. So tell our listeners who don't know you uh, a little bit about you. You've been on uh, staff at Christ Community before. I have. So you've been been in and around Christ Community for... 13? Uh, since 2011. 12-ish yeah, so years. Long time. Yeah. So you were on staff for a good chunk of that. Yep. Uh, you're no longer on staff. But tell us about where you're from, where you live now. Tell us about your family. Yeah. Um, I was a, a military kid. Um, met my wife uh, at Moody Bible Institute um, back in, in 2009-ish. And uh, uh, Tim Downey, who's one of the pastors here on staff, was one of my professors. And he connected me with a job opportunity to be the hub director at the St. Charles campus back in 2011 when I graduated. The so, hub director. For those who don't know what the hub is, what is the hub? The hub is the student space at the South Elgin St. Charles campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I got hired to, to work here. Um, I have a wife. I have three biological kids. We've been foster parents on and mm-hmm. off uh, for a handful of years as well. So we've had 10-ish people come and, come and go from our, our house. Right now, it's just 
just the biological five. So yeah. the Jackson five, it's, it's pretty exciting. Jackson five. Yeah. But I can attest personally that that is still a handful. It's still a lot, <laughs> still a lot going on. No joke. You're also an elder at the Streamwood I campus, uh, which is great. Congratulations oh, on that, by you. the way, for yeah. being an elder yeah. at the best campus. Yeah. Um, uh, you've also done a lot of different things. So, we, so to give us kind of a brief tour of your, um, your like journey through having different jobs. Cause a lot of people that we've interviewed on the podcast have yeah. gone to school. They did have done one thing and that's yeah. a beautiful, wonderful thing. That's not your story. So can you give us like a brief synopsis of that and like what caused you to change kind of focuses at those different mm. junctures? Yeah. So I went to Moody actually originally thinking I was going to be a, a youth pastor. That was, that was the end game okay. for, for, uh, in high school and, and in early college years. Then I ran into a, the money wall and realized I need to keep paying for school. Yes. Uh, I was, I'm one of six kids. And so uh, I, I uh, joined the army to get the GI Bill. Okay. Um, and then they, they, they blessed me with a couple of tours. They said, oh, you, you get to go on a tour of something. And I was like, sweet. So I, I toured Iraq wow. uh, um, twice yeah. um, in the early 2000s, uh, 2005, 2008. And, um, and then I, I ended up getting back to Moody, finishing that, that, that ministry degree in, in youth ministry and, and came out here. Um, so all that was was a, a pause on your education that it was. you didn't an- anticipate. I did not. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't, I I Thank it. you for yeah. your yeah. service yeah. too. Um, there's some some of the, the we're going to talk about mental health and and uh, where that came from. That a lot of that came from from those deployments and kind of the interim in between the deployments and and a lot of the brokenness that I experienced mm-hmm. then. Uh, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah. And so then I was on staff here at Christ Community for about eight years. Um, and uh, I made a mistake of preaching a message series about Jesus's emotions at summer camp. And that's actually what spun uh, us out of the staff time was realizing uh, that Jesus is, um, when, you, when you study his emotions, he was always uh, sad or compassionate or his, his, all of his size, all of his tender emotions are around people that are hurting. Hmm. Um, and all of his angry emotions are around people who are religious figures, who are hypocritical, and who like their positions of leadership too much. Wow. And it was really um, studying that when you when you preach at summer camp here, you uh, you you write the message in November, December, and you preach it in June. So I stewed in it for six yeah, months. Those dark yeah. winter months. So I was like, oh, cool. Um, and so I came back to Elizabeth and said, I think we need to consider um, something. We need to pray about something. Yeah. Something's going to change. And that that was the beginning. I mean, that was several years before I left staff. That actually led us into starting uh, Regroup, which which is our pain addiction program, or was our pain addiction program when I was when I was here. Um, that launched me into uh, the social work and counseling world uh, mm. of realizing, wow, there's a lot of kids with a lot of pain and I don't understand it. I don't know how to help them. And, um, and then ultimately led, led me to one collective, which was um, really, it's a community-based organization. So uh, I felt like I needed to be on the street in the, in the community more. Um, and the, the weekly rhythm of, of teaching every week and writing small group questions, um, I felt like there were other people who were gifted at that. And, and I was moving away in my, in my passion and skills into I needed to be in, this, in the city with, with people. Um, and, and so, uh, that, that led us to one collective, um, still love Christ community. Obviously it's still yeah. our home church. Yeah. Um, it supports all the, all of those things. And, and so it's been a huge, um, huge journey and really, really a huge blessing to be here. That's fun. I love hearing about your unique background experiences. I too am a child to military folks. Mm. So, mm. all right. So before we get into, I always say into the weeds. Well, um, the Uh-oh. tough questions to the weed. Yeah. No. <laughs> Since you've had such a un- like so many different jobs, what is the first 
legitimate legitimate not not uh, like uh, pay underneath the table okay job that you've had that that you had wow that cuts out the first three but okay yeah which shall not be named <laughs> on this podcast the illegitimate job yes <laughs> that, that'll be for the uh, patreon subscribers <laughs> to this podcast <laughs> i can tell you what it is for me uh it was a busboy at a oh, yeah. golf club restaurant uh and i went and my, my, my mom knew the manager there and got me a job so i was just bussing tables oh, yeah. and uh I I think that every single person who goes into ministry should be required to do be in food service at some point. <laughs> Amen. Like it's just that's just a thing. But yeah, so I was like wow. six, fifteen, sixteen years old working Whoa. on this. I'll never forget, you know, just like the interactions with hmm. people that I, I went to serve water to this old gentleman, and I was I forgot that I was told never to serve water to him, and I, I offered him water, <laughs> and and, uh, and and he turns to me, and he goes, "Do you know what fish do in water?" <laughs> That was, I'll never forget that. That was my first job. Memory. I was wow. like 15, like stammering away with my thing of water, wow. traumatized. So first job. That's, that's <laughs> something. a true story. Wow. That's, that's wild. Uh, my first legitimate uh, job with a, with a paycheck that came uh, was a tennis coach. I was the assistant varsity girls tennis coach. I was uh, the, the, Interesting. the top player at my school in the, in the boys team. And, but the boys season was the fall and girls season in the spring. Um, so the coach hired me and said, Hey, I want you to hang out and, and uh, basically just play. All I did was play. So I just played the top three ranked girls and they wanted somebody who could hit the ball harder than them. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. I got to go on bus rides and um, my girlfriend was on the team. So it was like, awesome. I got paid to hang out with my girlfriend through the end of senior year. That's, that's a, oh, not yeah. a bad first job. Yeah. It's not. My first paid job, legitimate job was Dairy Queen. Hmm. I made, it was back in the day when you had to make your own dilly bars. Oh. Like the, the, the like, like, yeah, did, like, did, like, dip it. Yeah. We, yeah. we made our own dilly bars and they, they made me manager at 15, which I'm pretty sure is Whoa. illegal. Um, and we won't talk about the other things that I did <laughs> while I worked there, but that was my first We said job. legitimate. We did. We did, right? yeah. Okay. yeah. You know, I went to Dairy Queen every single day for lunch my <laughs> junior lunch. year of high school. Every single day. For lunch. I got the exact same thing. <laughs> what, I got a burger in a blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just a living testimony wow. of God's grace that yeah. I'm still alive. Yeah, here, you, know? yeah you are, because yeah, if you were to see what happens in the freezer <laughs> and how that ice cream is All made, right. it is... I still want to eat Whoa. at Dairy Queen, so we're going to change wow. subjects. Okay. <laughs> All right, Bobby. So I um, love that your unique history background and your experience and just your work as a therapist is mm. touches close to home for me because I gave my life to Jesus on my licensed Christian counselor's floor. Mm. Um, our North Coast Church believed uh, very much so, so much they had licensed professional Christian counselors available on campus, yeah. on staff. Oh, wow. um, so what got you interested in therapy? Yeah, I really did not. I mean, I didn't go to my undergrad thinking I was going to be a therapist. My best friend did. Um, and so it's kind of funny because uh, my my three, breast, three best friends, including my wife, are all now therapists. Wow. Um, and three of us out of four did not intend that uh, at the beginning. But um, I think there's a couple of things. I think part of it is my own... Uh, yeah, mental health journey. Uh, I when I got out of when I was in the army um, after my first deployment, uh, 
it was a it was an incredibly difficult time readjusting to uh, normal life. Um, most of my relationships had moved on. It was like I was in I was in Iraq and uh, in Hurricane Katrina for 16 months. So when I came back to what was my life before, um, the way I, I, I usually describe it is is like people. Um, if you leave your home for 16 months, you wouldn't expect that, like, if my chore was mowing the lawn, that no one would mow the lawn for 16 months. They mm. would, they would, somebody would find a way to get that done. Mm. And it's kind of the same thing when you leave your friends, the emotional space that you took, like the friendships and the way that you supported them, they don't leave those spaces unsupported. Mm. So you, um, you're gone, they find somebody, something else, some other way to manage that, and then you come back and it's like a Polaroid picture that I, I presume was taken and then I get to jump right back into the spot I existed in before. Right. But the reality was everybody else had moved on. So I was coming back thinking I'd jump right back in and um, and people had, had moved on. And it was in, incredibly painful. There's a, a, there's a lot to to that story um, that we don't have, have, have time for. But um, I ended up really depressed. I ended up really isolated. Uh, I ended up really addicted to a lot of things. I ended up suicidal. Huh. Um and so it was in that low, um, I, I, experiencing that low, experiencing that that brokenness, uh, experiencing betrayal from friends, um, both perceived my perception and real um, uh, people doing and, and doing really hurtful things, um, and then coming back out of that, experiencing hope um, and, and and forgiveness, and uh, a lot of it is a faith journey, and a lot of it is a mental health journey mm. uh, for me. So there's there's a part of it that is pain um, provoked uh, of my own, uh, and then it really really was doing youth ministry, doing youth ministry, and seeing the types of pain that kids were experiencing, um, and trying to help them, and just feeling like I was drowning all the time, and going like the, these the things that our kids in our church are experiencing. It's too much for me to handle. I you don't have the tools. We don't have the tools, yeah. and so I need to go figure out where I can get these tools. And and so that launched me into the the. I, I went to University of Chicago because I was like, I want to learn the best tools there are that the wow. the outside of the church world has, and then I want to figure out how to integrate them. Um, you did not go to a, a seminary, or I did not, and that's what all my friends were encouraging me to. Yeah. It was like you should get an MDiv, like every, yep. like other folks. Uh, and I was like, I I want to understand what these tools are. Um, yeah. Which is, which is amazing. So uh, you could have just jumped into uh, any counseling practice and been mm -hmm. a member there, but you didn't, mm -hmm. you started something called rally point. Why, why did you choose to do that? Uh, yeah. So um, that really, uh, I did actually originally start uh, at other practices, which you have to do as uh, in order to get your license. You can't just start your um, own. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was supervised for a couple of years in case anyone is listening. You know, they, I was supervised they, they let you go start a church, you know, <laughs> yourself. Without, so. Yeah. Uh, it actually came out of the work of one collective. So, so you, you, you introduced the idea of one collective uh, or our mission statement. One collective is an organization where we go into different communities. This is what I left staff for. So I'll introduce both. There are two, mm -hmm. if you're keeping track of my current world and not all of the wonderful jobs I've had, but yeah. current world is two things. One is this nonprofit. One collective is uh, a faith-based organization. We go into different communities around the world. Um, most of them are overseas and we draw a geographic boundary. Hmm. We study everyone and everything within that geographic boundary and especially what resources are there and what resources are missing. Hmm. And we try to help bring people together to make sure nobody's invisible and all people have access to food freedom and forgiveness. So um, sometimes that means 
like there's a there's a food scarcity or there's there's food deserts. There's an area where people can't access uh, fresh produce. Uh, sometimes it's trafficking. Um, in in different communities, it means different things. A- yeah. After we do a, a big needs assessment. Yeah. So in Elgin, in the, in the community that I live, uh, our biggest needs, we did, a, we did a, a needs assessment. We interviewed 518 people, and we asked what they thought the biggest issues in town were. And in order, they were housing and homelessness, mm. youth resources, uh, uh, equity and unity, um, and trafficking. Those were the, the, the four things that we came out of the needs assessment wow. wanting to look at and, and wanting to uh, have initiatives around. So we started with housing and homelessness and did, did some work there. And we're still all of all of these are now ongoing, um, but then the second one was youth resources, and you know we were looking at different ways to do that. How can we sp- support a school? And somebody said to me, Bobby, like you were a youth guy, right? And I was like, Yeah. And they're like, hmm. Do you still like them? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I really miss the interaction one on one with students. Like yeah. that's. And they're like, Why don't you start? like a youth focused counseling practice. And I was, mm-hmm. it was like, just like was a light bulb kind of dinging. Was, wow. This is a tremendous need. There, there are uh, a way greater need than, than there are a number of therapists uh, available. And, and so trying to create access uh, for young people to be able to, to, to find good mental health care was, mm-hmm. is really, really important. So that, that was kind of the idea was, was marrying these things together. That, that's awesome. Before we uh, move on past the, the homelessness thing, you recently pushed something over a uh, critical um, mm. you know, juncture around homelessness in Elgin. And there was an article written about that. Do you want to just name, sure. name the article so people can read about uh, it if they want to know more? Yeah, you could, you would, uh, you would Google it. I don't actually know if I can tell you what the, the like what the link is, but yeah, um, the city council, I, it wasn't entirely me. There was, there's a bunch of us working together. The city council allotted um, just under a million dollars to help with uh, housing and homelessness initiatives for, for 2023. Mm. So we're all really pumped about that and trying yeah. to work together to figure out how to construct an actual solution. Yeah. Multi-year effort that finally, yeah. I saw, saw some fruition, which is great. So uh, tell me about uh, some of the most common issues that you see uh, with kids. So you, you have a youth-focused practice. Rally yep. Point is primarily focused on youth. Yep. What are people walking through the doors carrying? Yeah, I mean, number one is anxiety. Um, anxiety is, is on the rise. When If you look at st- statistics, uh, it is tremendously higher right now than it was pre-COVID. It, is, it was already on the rise before, mm-hmm. before COVID, but COVID um, and the kind of the environment we've created uh, since uh, has has really exacerbated the issue. So we're seeing that I would say more than half of the clients. That's the initial um, diagnosis is wow. something anxiety related. Wow. Um, there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of questions around gender, gender identity, gender expression, mm-hmm. um, sexuality, and then a lot of things are parenting. Um, I have a. Um, I would say the majority of my personal clients are 17 year old boys and hmm. their moms and their moms um, who uh, are having conflict. Okay. Yeah. So you don't just meet with individual teenagers. Sometimes you meet with parents and sometimes mm-hmm. you meet with the whole family, right? Yes. That's my favorite. That's yes. Favorite. I love having the whole family in place. Because you think it's, if you've heard you talk about this, it's more yeah. effective to address the system than yes. it is any individual person yes. in that system. Yeah. That's yeah. If you can create a system where people can talk, usually they, the, the issues solve them. Mm-hmm. They, they start solving themselves. Yeah. All right, Bobby. So let's backtrack a little bit because I think a lot of our listeners um, as they're listening to you, have questions in their mind around the difference between a pastor, or a Christian therapist, or mm. biblical counseling, mm-hmm. or license. Can you provide yeah. some definitions just and the differences mm-hmm. around those? Yeah. Um, it, was, it varies a little state by state, but in the state of Illinois, there are three licenses that are three master's degrees that lead to licensed counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, licensed clinical professionals, uh, 
clinical professional counselors, LCPCs. There are licensed marriage and family therapists, and there are licensed clinical social workers. Hmm. Um, those are the three licensures that the state of Illinois um, uh, oversees, supervises, and there's a set of uh, expectations no matter what degree program uh, you go through, no, no matter what school, that, that all of us have to um, have to log a certain number of hours, hmm. um, ha- take certain classes, and then there's a certain ethic. Um, there's a standard of ethics for each of those. Um, when, you, when you use a phrase like biblical counseling, that's a, a, I would put that in a different kind of a different group. A lot of folks see us as the same thing, um, but they're, typically biblical counseling is a degree program at, um, at a Christian school. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is not licensed, and it's, it doesn't have the same type of uh, oversight uh, that the state does not oversee it. So you, you don't always know necessarily what you get. And, and I, mm. I, there are really good biblical counselors, so I'll caveat what I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I do get nervous when I see biblical counseling, because a lot of times it means that somebody who will whack you in the head with the Bible, but isn't necessarily educated in theology or counseling. Okay. And so sometimes it can be really dangerous. Uh, and I've seen a lot of damage done uh, by biblical counselors. So, so mm. I, I get a little bit uh, nervous around that space um, because it's it's not somebody with an MDiv and it's not somebody sure. who's a licensed therapist. Uh, it's kind of like a middle ground, and some of some of the time they can be not very educated in either. Yeah, yeah, I could not imagine the outcome of my own experience had I walked in. Her, my uh, licensed counselor's name was Jennifer, mm-hmm. and the first thing I said to her when I looked at her <laughs> was, "I need you to fix me, <laughs> but don't talk to me about God." Okay. Right, so here she is, a licensed Christian counselor, sure. and she 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 mm-hmm. knew the journey to take me on mm. to figure out my he- mental health issues, yeah. and then help me with my spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what is the what is the difference between because you're not just a therapist, but you're mm-hmm. a Christian therapist? Okay. Mm-hmm. How does this impact how you approach your work? Yeah, I I, I think. Um, there's a couple of things that, that guide uh, how I think about um, counseling. Uh, a, 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 a big part of my framework has to do with what I call the, the four quadrants. So somebody comes into a first session, and I, I almost always explain uh, the four quadrants. Um, hmm. People who have an issue, and if, if we say it's depression, we'll, we'll use that as, as our example. Um, there are four quadrants. There are, there are, there's a physical quadrant. There's a, uh, a social, a mental, and a spiritual quadrant. And depending on how you see the world, uh, you will see your issue as one of those things, and you will go to a, a specialist in one of those things. So if you think your issue is physical, you might go to a doctor and say, hey, put me on a medication, mm-hmm. or can you check my thyroid levels, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Uh, if you think your your issue is social, you might go to a teacher, you might go to a parent, you might try to change a relationship, break up with somebody, get together with somebody. Uh, you might think it's your trauma, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that it is spiritual, you might go to a pastor, you might try to pray, pray it away. I've, I've, you, you've heard those kinds of phrases. Um, and if you think it's mental, you might go to a therapist and you might think, oh, help me fix uh, the mental. And the mm-hmm. reality is human beings are all four of those things all at the same time, all the time. Mm-hmm. And we're not one of those things. And so I tend to think of us as teammates, but we are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't go to my therapist for spiritual guidance. I would go to my therapist to help me figure out what's going on in my mind. Um, I would go to my pastor for spiritual guidance and I would go to both. Mm. Yeah, and so I think they're they're different but helpful to mm. each other. Interesting. Can you talk a little bit about um, you you hold licensure and you're responsible to the state, yeah. but then you you are a Christian mm-hmm. licensed counselor. So how how do you uh, 
wrestle with yeah. that tension because I'm sure yeah, that yeah. the state requires or you know doesn't allow you mm-hmm. to maybe lead out with your faith or maybe they do I don't yeah um, I mean there there is an element where it's there's an expectation that that the state uh, that, that that folks who are licensed I'm a licensed clinical social worker so there's there's a, there's a an ethic there that that is uh, involved um, for me I I I see it actually as a philosophical, theological thing um, that trumps the state, to be honest. But I'm going to caveat that by saying I still follow the state's ethic, but not because of the state's ethic. I follow God first and not not the state first. but the way that I tend to see the role of a therapist uh, theologically and in the context of a church is our role is to clear the way for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And in order to clear the way for the Holy Spirit, we try to get rid of the pressures that are that are that our clients are reacting to or running towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, a lot of the time, I, I think it's it's not my my job to tell you the truth. My job is to help you hear the Holy Spirit speak the truth to you. And um, so in, in the context, like practically speaking, um, I have a client that comes in and says, I don't, I, uh, we actually have it as one of our questions. We say like, what, what role do you want spirituality to play hmm. in therapy? And they'll okay. say none at all. And I will respond when you say none at all. Like a lot of times when I say spirituality, I might mean hope and purpose and like bigger picture things outside of yourself. What kind of openness do you have to those kinds of conversations? They'll say, oh yeah, I'm totally open to that. And so th- th- that becomes, I, I hmm. am following again, I'm following the state ethic. I want to be client directed, which is what we're, we're told to be. I want the client to lead that way. Uh, but I also want to create a little bit of space for those the client to actually explore that. Because typically if a client says no, they're reacting. They're, they're not reacting to me. Yeah. They're reacting to the words spirituality, religion, faith, something like that. And so I just want to create space where I say like, okay, what other language can we use because I do think humans are spiritual humans, and so actually, it's within our ethic. We 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 the ethic of, of social workers includes spirituality, um, and so I I want to open the space mm-hmm. and and hopefully not not close it. Yeah, and you've told me that uh, only about fifty percent of the clients who walk through your doors would identify as Christian. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yeah. So so how how is it then? Uh, how does but what is your approach with those who say, nope, they check that box, not interested in spirituality mm-hmm. at all? Uh, how, how does your interaction, uh, your uh, approach mm-hmm. differ with them compared to an, uh, a Christian? Yeah, I mean, a Christ- I would say, where does my approach differ with a Christian? It's it, more than with, it's typical. Most therapists, like I would say, it's typical to expect a client to say, let's not talk about this. Yeah, um, It's more um, interesting and in some ways more challenging to work with a Christian who expects a certain thing. Interesting. Uh, especially because they get referred by a church who is thinking that I'm going to co-pastor with the pastor. And, and that's why I have the four quadrants conversation right away. It's yeah. like, I want you to keep going to your pastor. I was taught in youth ministry class that I was supposed to see students up to three times. And if uh, if they wanted to come more than three times, then I needed to refer, refer to the professionals. Refer, yeah. And that's what they would say is refer to the pro- professionals. And now as the professional, I'm like, wait, stop. Uh, don't, yep. don't wash your hands of this client because they actually need you as much as me, um, because the church is the primary social space that I'm going to be pushing them back to, yeah. uh, because the church is their home. It's their family. It's their community. It's yeah. the body. Yeah. I'm not as a therapist. They shouldn't be running from that space right, to right. go find help out, outside of it. And they shouldn't be expecting the vast majority of therapists to teach them theology or to teach them about God mm. or to teach them, because 
ob- objectively, most of my therapists, even I have uh, Christian and non-Christian therapists um, mm-hmm. within our practice, though even the Christian ones, they're not educated uh, in theology. And so they, they might talk about God, but they might talk about it inaccurately. Mm. Uh, mm. And that can be really damaging because of the power dynamics. You, you, as a, as a, as a, pastor who used to refer, now I'm really aware and I want to encourage folks that are Christians and pastors to know that that a, a therapist is not uh, necessarily theologically trained and may say some inaccurate stuff in that space. Yeah, yeah. So for Christians coming in, uh, what sort of issues do you see that are particular to believers walking into your doors? What are some co- common things that they're bringing with them? What are some trends that you've noticed? Yeah. Uh, so Christians... Um, it, I think there's a couple of things that that I see uh, really commonly in um, in Christians. I, I I think the first thing is there's a type of um, there's there's a couple types of stigma that that walk in uh, with with folks that get referred from churches. Um, sometimes the the stigma is if my faith walk was right, I wouldn't need this. Um, and so some of it is like disarming. There uh. is a lot of times there's an actual mental health issue. Like you have. OCD and these thoughts are not actually your thoughts. Uh, like they're intrusive thoughts by definition. They're thoughts you don't have total control over yet, mm. and we're going to work together. Which is like that. a theology deficit. Like if if I if I'm living a Christian life, I should expect not to encounter right X Y Z issues. Right, and you're saying that's not that's, that's not the case. Right. right, right. You wouldn't expect somebody with a with a cancer diagnosis to to like go evangelize out mm. of like they're, they're, or like if they're if they're in a hospital, there's a limit to their body. Sure. And so it, it, the same thing, if your brain has a mental health issue that's diagnosable, there's a limit. Mm. And we, we, it's really important to kind of get rid of some of that, that stigma. Uh, and that stigma really, um, it, it extends to medication. I, I hear a lot of, okay. um, a lot, a lot of Christians in particular are, um, they feel embarrassed by medication, mm. um, I'm a I'm a medication last kind of therapist. I, I don't start there, mm-hmm. um, but I also think it's really valuable if if we can discover that that's the problem, mm-hmm. because um, we're embodied creatures. Because we actually have yeah, a body, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I always encourage clients to go to a doctor and get a blood panel because there's lots of other things that can cause um, medical mm-hmm. medical issues, thyroid issues, low iron, low low vitamin D, low vitamin B will all cause the same symptoms as depression. Mm-hmm. So don't start with an antidepressant. Yeah. Start with a blood panel. Um, check your check your, check your your vitamins and other things, and then if if it's none of those, and we have pinned it to a medical issue, yeah, uh, then then try an antidepressant. That's good. I've, I heard a pastor say that we we sometimes need to stop using language like we are uh, embodied souls and start mm. to think of ourselves as ensouled bodies. Mm. Uh, to flip the script and say, yeah. uh, actually, we can think body first. Sometimes that that is okay because yeah. we, bodies are a significant part of who we are. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's really important. Bobby, continue talking a little bit about your distinctives. Um, your uh, your therapeutic approach. What does the first therapy session look like for you? What are you trying to accomplish and how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I, there's, a, there's a lot of different therapeutic approaches. Um, I, I mean, if you go out, anybody who's been on TikTok or, or uh, Facebook or, or wherever you, you Google, uh, you've probably seen elements of different kinds of therapeutic approaches. Um, I tend to be a family systems therapist first and a, uh, a cognitive behavioral therapist second. Hmm. Um, m- meaning what I do is is when somebody walks in the room, I start right away mentally mapping uh, what they're saying. So I, me- I mentally map their relationships, their support systems, hmm. their their 
areas of conflict. I, I meant, and when I'm mentally mapping, I'm writing names in. Uh, sometimes I actually write names on a piece of paper, I and see. other times I mentally do this. Hmm. And then I create kind of an arrow system, and I think, oh, these two have a green arrow uh, that goes both ways, and both people can talk openly. And these two have a red arrow, uh, or maybe a broken or a dotted. And I start to like mentally envision, huh. um, like when they're describing a relationship, what that relationship kind of looks like. Like a code book that you use for your mental mapping. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and then I work to try to try to fix that stuff and, mm-hmm. and get everybody to green arrows. Um, then the other thing that I, that I do is internally. Uh, so that's kind of what I think, what I'm thinking externally about your, your, the system around you mentally, I, I, I map your thought process. So I, I mentally map some of your, um, your history and then the core beliefs that you have, have come to believe about yourself because of that history, some of the assumptions that you make because of those beliefs, um, and some of the, the coping tools that you're currently using because of those assumptions. Uh, uh-huh. And then, and then like, then you're describing situation by situation. So I'm kind of yeah. mentally mapping all of those things. And then we go back in and say, okay, now that we've got a good map of how you think, where are areas that we can start to intervene? What, what changes could we make to the way that you're thinking? Hmm. Because honestly, if, if you can sub out um, a thought like I'm a, I, I, always, I always fail or I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if we could sub that out for I'm made in God's image, um, I'm, I am worthy of love, hmm. uh, it, it trickles all the way down to everything else. Hmm. But it's really hard. That, that, that statement that I just said is very, it's very not, difficult. It's, it's yes. not an easy process, sure. but it's a, it's a massive uh, seismic shift in the way that you, you function. Um, so we want to f- flip the script a little bit and go a little bit more personal um, in Uh-oh. regard to your <laughs> life. This will be fun. Um, Into the weeds. Yes. Here we go. Yeah. How many uh, clients do you see a week? Uh, how do you set limits? What mm. happens when you have gone past your, you know, personal limits or boundaries? Because mm-hmm. you're married, right? You've got mm-hmm. kiddos. Yep. All that kind of stuff. Yep. What is a week look like for you yeah um i have uh i if if you were to diagnose me which i've never formally had this diagnosis because my mom said that um i i needed to learn how to fidget under the table in socially appropriate ways um i i I could easily be diagnosed many times over with adhd and um and i have always interpreted that largely because of my mom uh as a um as a superpower Hmm. Um, that's how she always would talk about it. You have just more thoughts and more energy than other kids. It's a superpower. And, and I literally, I, I think it's been super helpful to frame it that way hmm. uh, most of my life. Uh, it causes a lot of other problems. Yes. Um, maritally, it causes problems when I'm home with too much energy left over at the end of the day. Because left, my wife, left yes, over? if I have too much, if I've worked too little, ah. then my then my wife is like, you need to go do something else <laughs> because you cannot she continue to tear <laughs> walls in our home <laughs> down because uh, I liked the walls where they were. And I'm like, I just thought it would be better, bigger, better, b- prettier if we, we changed. We have gotten one. pictures from Elizabeth yeah. where she's so like, if you we, we, we left town for 48 hours yeah. and came back to a different house. Yeah, <laughs> it's problematic. <laughs> So um, I, the, the, the perfect number for me is about 55 hours. If I work 55 hours, uh, my wife is happy and I am happy and I'm the right amount exhausted at the end of the day. If I go over 55 hours, I feel really trashy. Uh, I don't get enough sleep. I start mm. to cut out other important things. Yeah. Um, and I think actually as I've gotten a little older, that number's going down a little bit, mm. if, I'm, if I'm honest with myself. Um, I'm, I'm starting to like to take more half days on Friday and it feels super nice. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
So I work 40-ish hours for one collective, and I take 15 hours of clients. Um, and then there's some give room because I, I supervise directly three therapists, mm-hmm. and then obviously there's some uh, business building involved. Yeah. Um, but but 15 hours of clients is, is the the actual end uh, of that. Okay, um, so you lead a staff, uh-huh. you see all these clients, mm-hmm. and even as I mean, I can't relate from a therapist standpoint, but from a pastor, the com- the amount of conversations mm-hmm. and people that we talk to throughout the week. Yeah. How do you not bring your work home with you to your wife, or do yeah. you? <laughs> uh, I didn't. I I I bring some of the problems to solve. I don't bring clients home right. to uh, to my wife almost ever. Every there, maybe once every six months, uh, there'll be there'll be a case that that bugs me enough that I'm I'm still emotional about it when I get home. Huh. I do bring exhaustion home. I for sure bring exhaustion home. I'm a very good compartmentalizer, so I don't bring the issue, the trauma um, home. But uh, I, I see all of my clients Monday through Wednesday, um, except um, some intakes, because intakes are fun. Uh, I love to do... Hmm. At our practice, we do a one-hour intake with every new client. Um, we used to just like take the phone call and give them to a therapist, and now we take an hour and say, like, let's really get to know you a little hmm. bit, and then let's give you a, a therapist that fits you really well. Um, so I'll take those, uh, because they're just one-offs, and they're fun. Hmm. Um, but on Wednesday, I'm done with my... Um, all of my regular clients. Uh, so to answer your question, I then go home at 8.30 and I buy cheese or <laughs> or Chick-fil-A. And uh, my wife and I have affectionately called Wednesday night binge night. And it's our reset night. And we, re- we learned a while ago that on Wednesday night, I'm, I've, I've plumb run out of, of empathy. Mm. And so if she brings any sort of emotional issue to me, I, I genuinely won't be... It's not even like... It's not being mean. I can't see it. Like I'm like looking at her face and I I no longer understand that there's an emotion on it. It's like I'm just like it's another problem. And I'm mean on Wednesday nights, but not because I'm mad at her mm-hmm. or because the issue is too big. Mm. Just because it's Wednesday night and I've it's like the 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 uh the little green bar has has run out of yes. the screen and it's yeah. empty and yes. it needs it needs cheese. It needs cheese. It needs, it needs cheese. cheese. That naturally needs to be plugged into some cheese. And so we eat cheese, uh, and then we go to bed. And Thursday morning, she can ask me about it, and I'm good to go. Got it. I was going to ask about kids, but you you arrive home late enough to where they're sort of in bed, and yeah. you're not encountering those same sort of kid needs not on, on a, Wednesday no. nights. Correct. Yeah, which is that would that would, yeah. be, that would be its own difficulty. Yeah. Most most of our clients, because we see young people, they're after school, so most of the the ther- therapy happens mm. uh, three p.m. three p.m. Mm. onward. So I think it was Carl Jung who was the first to use the term wounded healer. Uh, he described uh, the journey of the counselor or the therapist, uh, him or herself, as they are engaging with their their clients. And so um, I'm interested in, in kind of if you're willing to give us a peek behind the curtain and let us know what is going through your mind uh, as mm. as and more importantly through your heart and your like emotions mm. as you're reacting personally to hearing the stories, especially those are that, that are maybe traumatic and resonate yep. with your stories of trauma. Because unlike a doctor who's mm-hmm. coming in treating cancer and the doctor's like, oh, I don't have cancer. I'm just treating cancer. Yeah. Uh, I'm just using my specialty. It's much more like one way. Mm-hmm. This is much more of a dynamic. Yeah. There's no two counseling sessions that are same. Yeah. You know, there's no interactions that's, that's identical. Yeah. So what's happening in you as you're mm. doing that? And how do you like, how, how do you have some sort of intentionality yeah. with that and process through that? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple of things that you're getting at there. Like when we use the word therapy versus the word counseling, there's really they 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 really get used as synonyms mm-hmm. in my brain. They're s- slightly different things. Mm-hmm. Therapy 
is an environment. It's a container. It's a space that I'm creating. Okay. And, and in a sense, I'm trying to act as a mirror. I want you to see you. Mm-hmm. I, want, I really want you to be able to see yourself super clearly from a wide variety of angles. And so I'm going to try to help you see this thought and I help you see and notice this thought. Um, in order to do that, I have to feel my feelings and let you see, let, and then bring them back to you in a way that you can receive. Hmm. Um, so a really simple example would be a, a young person walks in, maybe they're 14 and they smell bad. And, um, I notice because I have a nose hmm. and they sit down on, on my couch and I'm like, whew. Uh, most people would not reflect that back. Right. They would it's just so, like, impolite. It's impolite to tell them they smell bad. As a therapist, it is you're my like, this is part, part of, of my role. This is part of why you're here. It's to help mm-hmm. them uh, know yes. about it and help them have a tool to uh, improve upon it and help them just to, or at least maybe that's the wrong word. Not even improve. Help them to know what what kinds of reactions they're getting. And then let them choose what to do with it. I, I, it's not actually my goal to get them to shower. It's my goal to help them know that because of their their particular choices in, with hygiene, uh, folks will react a certain kind of way. Um, that doesn't mean you need to stop. If that's what you want, then okay. But so long as like part of what it is in therapy is helping you to see that. That's a physical experience of what we try to do also mentally. When you say something to me that's really off-putting, Mm. I need to figure out how to respond to you in a way that you can hear. Mm. Um, so I have to feel that that feeling of off-puttingness and then kind of turn it back and let you see it and go, okay, when you said that, my experience was this. Um, I don't actually think that. I'm not judging you right now. I'm not trying to like make you feel bad. That's but very I, interesting. I want you to know what my You're m- saying that's how emotional... the, you hit me as a human. That's how you hit me so as a human. So you are wearing your humanness yes, on you. All the time. You're not just like saying words and, and giving a sort of diagnosis. Right. You're saying, here's here's how I felt. When you right. Said, that's interesting. Right. I love this so much because we see Jesus do it mm. so mm. many times. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament with people, the, the woman at the well, his yeah. disciples, like, I just need you to see and yeah. realize what you said. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So um, a positive uh, way, uh, example of that is I, I had a client the other day who uh, was self-sabotaging in the, in the session. So what I mean by that is they have a tool, they're using a tool, a mental health tool. Uh, um, and uh, in, in this case, they were solving their own problem, but they, w- they were not acknowledging that they were using the tool. They were saying, well, I, I, I wrote this down. Your homework was to write this down and come back and report. And I, I wrote this example down. But to be honest, I didn't really do that tool because you told me to. I, I, did the, I did it. And then when I remembered I had to do homework, I wrote down that I did it. But I didn't do it because you gave me the homework. So hmm. it doesn't really count. And I looked at them and I was like, wait a minute. So, you, so you're saying you that integrating, you, you applying actually use, naturally. You actually use yeah. the tool. And it was just this reflection of like, mm. what I heard you say just now was you self-sabotage. You told yourself you can't do mm-hmm. the tools. Mm-hmm. That's what you said. But then you told me that you did the tool. Mm-hmm. But um, so do you see the, the gap between mm-hmm. what you're saying and what you're also saying? And my experience of you telling me you did the tool was, was excitement and your version was like depression and failure. Mm-hmm. But it's the same. You, we both had the same thing. Um, so it, it can kind of go both ways of yeah. like being able to use my excitement, but then I have to say it in a way that they could hear. Cause if I, if I over, overshot and was like, you did great. They wouldn't take that. Yeah. Yeah. So as a side note, you, you said you don't come home and process through all your stuff with Elizabeth, your wife, mm-hmm. D- but do, so do you, do you see a counselor? Like who do you process yeah. through your own emotions with mm-hmm. as you're, as you're engaged as a counselor, as a therapist? 
Yeah, I have a couple uh, of personal outlets. I have a spiritual director um, right now. I've had a therapist in the past, but I found for me personally, that's the, the, the life stage, I, or life stage, I don't know, the phase I'm in is I wanted somebody to, to help me really see myself spiritually. Hmm. Um, so that's been a, kind of a, a point of intention. I, my two best friends are... Um, our therapists, so we talk um, a lot of emotions. We don't ever talk cases, mm-hmm. but we talk just emotions. Uh, every week we, we have a video call. Okay. Uh, they're out of uh, out of the area, but all, we're all now therapists. And so yeah. we all like that's a it's a part of our kind of weekly debrief. Mm-hmm. And then um, at our practice, uh, we have what we call consultation. So if I actually have a case, a problem with a case, I can get other therapists on my own team to like uh, examine the case. Good. Hey, before we, you know, kind of head to a conclusion here, uh, I want to talk about your business, Rally Point, and mm. you, you are you're you're not just a therapist; you're a business leader. Like you're a business owner, a business leader. Um, you lead from a Christian perspective. Uh, I imagine you you have you said you had Christians employed uh, as therapists mm-hmm. in your business, yep. but I think I understand that not all of them are Christians. Mm. So how how do you navigate that? And the this is not uh, sales; they're yep. not just selling selling you know whatever. Uh, and and a, mm-hmm. a non Christian might be able to do that in the same way as a Christian, there's going to be some different fundamentally, you know, different perspectives that mm-hmm. the counselors bring in. So how do you navigate yep. that as a, as a business leader in the therapy world? Yeah. Well, um, there's a couple of things. Uh, the first started when, when, when we, I went to establish the company was the establishment of our values. Mm-hmm. What do we really at a core level, what do we value most? Um, and as uh, like in the in the field, we talk a lot about human dignity um, in in the counseling world. Um, but as a Christian, um, for me, human dignity has a root, has a reason. You know, we're not just dignified beings because mm. we're dignified beings because we are created by a dignified being in His image. And so uh, when I went to uh, write out our values with, with, uh, with my business partner and, and my wife, that's what came first was like, I want to establish a company where every person who comes in, uh, staff or client, uh, we acknowledge their Imago Dei, their, their image of God bearing nature. Um, and, and that extends from the person who is uh, being abused to the abuser. It doesn't, every person who walks in, I want them to know we see their value, their innate God-given. Nothing can take it away value. Mm. Um, so that, that, that was first. Uh, this, the second value was empowerment, um, realizing for clients what that means is uh, the, the things that we're going to work on, I want you to walk out knowing how to do them. They're, they're, we're not talking about something that I'm going to change in my life. We're talking about something you're going to change in your life. So I, whatever we're doing, all of the work that we're going to do, I want to make sure that you feel empowered to do it. Uh, it's also a part of how I see employing my staff. I want them to feel empowered to do the best they possibly can to provide the best uh, care that they can. Uh, and then we use the word value-driven. Um, and when, when I say value-driven, we both mean we're driven by our values. And we also think of how can we everything that we do uh, be done in a way that the client receives value. So there's there's sometimes like early when we founded the company where I I took a financial loss in a way that I knew clients would benefit, hmm. and it was like it's just it's more valuable to them, and I, it stinks. But I uh, later on it'll be better because because we're setting the company up in a way that's that, who you want to be yeah. that that they feel valued. Hmm. Um, with those as our kind of groundwork, that has been the way that we hire hmm. is to say you. 
these are our core values. And if you can agree to these core values uh, uh, articulated this way, you can be on our team. So then, of course, um, the first person that interviewed uh, was not a Christian. And we, and so we had to wrestle. Um, and uh, objectively, she is the best therapist I have ever met. Wow. And so I... I, it was like really frustrating in a, in a way internally. And if she's listening, I hope I say this in a dignified way. Uh, but I was like, wow, you're, I want you as my therapist. Like, but wow. you're, you're fantastic. And so then it, there was a wrestling match yep. of if I believe that this person theologically yes. can create a space where the Holy Spirit can work, yes. uh, then, then I, I should not be stripping their Imago day and saying, you can't work for me hmm. because you're not, you're not, you haven't, crossed a line or something like that. It also comes back to that that original thing that that uh, that's that sermon series for me about Jesus and and his emotions. It was Jesus didn't exclusively hang out with believers. Like it was always an integrated mix of of people. And so hmm. as much as um as as like as as committed as I am to him, I actually think the the work of therapy can be done if it's done by a good therapist, mm -hmm. a really good therapist, uh, it can be done by somebody who's not a Christian uh, as well. And in this case, <laughs> I actually think better. And and I've met and the other funny thing, like in hindsight, I've met a lot of bad Christian sure, therapists. Sure. Yeah. And so like being a Christian does not indicate that you're going to be a good therapist. So uh, we wrestled with it. It probably took two months. We, 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 we brought her on staff and uh, honestly, I call her for first about almost every counseling issue because I get a perspective that I would never, ever get hmm. uh, from my like uh, my bubble uh, of, of typical people that I would go to. And it's, in fact, better advice wow. almost always. Wow. wow. This, I love, love, love this conversation today. Um, as we're wrapping up, I can't help but think, all of our listeners, that we're sitting smack dab in a mental health crisis, right? We're mm -hmm. post-COVID. We see mm -hmm. all of these different issues. So what are some final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners mm -hmm. with? Yeah. Okay. So there was one thought that hit me uh, later after you asked a question earlier that I wanted to make sure that I said. Um, and, and that is uh, a lot of people who come for counseling, especially the parents, are frustrated with their kid. They're really, really frustrated. Uh, and it's a trap we fall into, especially as Christians, maybe everybody, but especially as Christians, a lot. And that is uh, misidentifying what stage of change folks are in. Uh, so uh, I'll say it from the perspective of a, a parent who's a client and their kid. A lot of times a parent will come to me and say, can you help me fix my kid? My kid is struggling with, uh, they're rebelling. They're, they're rebelling. They don't want to follow the rules anymore. Uh, and so I tell them they need to do this, um, and I tell them they need to do that, and they just never do it. And sometimes they even agree with me that they're going to do it, and then they never do it. Um, and, and I'm just I'm just fed up, uh, and we fight all the time, and I just don't know what to do any, anymore. And so can you can you fix my kid? If usually they don't say the words fix my kid, but they get at that. Um, and so there's a model called the stages of change. Um, and it's a fantastically helpful model where it talks about the five stages of change and how in the first three stages, uh, we call them pre-contemplation, contemplation, and preparation, mm. you're not changing. Mm. You're not moving. And most people are in one of those three stages. Mm. However, we speak to people in the fourth stage, As which is the action the stage. stage. Yeah. And that's what we speak to people in almost always. That's what mm. we speak to people from, from most stages, most pulpits, most sermons are preached with a fourth stage mentality that you're ready for the change. And that's why yes. we're frustrated when that they people don't, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. People don't do it. And in the first three stages, there are techniques that you can use. And if you're using those techniques, 
you're going to feel a lot more relaxed because you don't feel like they're failing you because they're not, you're not giving them a task to do. Yeah. Um, and so um, if you can find those strategies, you'll feel a lot more relaxed in those, in those interactions. I would say that to any yeah. mentor of a youth, uh, like in the youth group, I would say that to any community group leader, I would say that to any parent. Um, if you can identify that, that the person is uh, not thinking about a change, thinking about a change, preparing for a change, yeah. and you can think in terms of join, just join the team and create a space where they can, where they can have a doubt, uh, uh, pro-con list with them, and then count the cost. Those are kind of the main techniques in those first three stages. If you're using those stages, you're going to feel a lot less frustrated. Mm. Um, so I would encourage you as a parent and as a parent of foster kids who often were not ready sure. for the changes I wanted sure. them to make, it's a lot of that. I just want you to know I'm on your team. I want you to know I'm on your team in this and figuring out ways to make it make you feel and that's the key thing, make you perceive me as a teammate. Okay. If you see me that way, then mm. we're going to have real conversations. Mm. If you see me as the enemy, if you see, see me as the opponent, op opposing team, you're going to defend right. and you're not going to change. You're going to react and right. you're going to run away from the change that I want you to make. Um, so, so start there. Um, there's so, man, yeah. Uh, other final thoughts. Um, one of... If I had a vision, I'm going to say it this way. If I had a vision for our church, I would love it if Christ Community and anybody else who's listening, a member of the Big C Church, I would love it if we all had the vision of a world in which we didn't need therapists. Interesting. And, I, and I'm saying that as somebody who's committed an awful lot of my life <laughs> yes. to schooling and to uh, launching a company that I, I'm planning on running for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but in the ideal world where the church really lives to be the thing that God uh, created us, uh, the model God created us to, to be, I don't think a therapist is necessary. And that's because mm -hmm. we provide that type of support to each other. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, uh, so uh, every, within that, that, that framework, there's some other th thoughts on how we could do that. I would love yeah. to see us be real listeners. Okay. Um, it means real vulnerability. Uh, what, what is beautiful about the counseling space and what makes it sacred is confidentiality. Somebody knows legally, I'm not going to talk about what you say yeah. outside of there. All the people I've talked about today would not probably recognize themselves. Sure. They might say that they recognize themselves, but I've said it in ways that I know. <laughs> I've, I've brought kind of some stories together. I've changed enough that they are not who they think they are, even if they think they are who I'm saying. Mm. Um, confidentiality is super important. Um, with that, there's that allows for vulnerability and vulnerability, true vulnerability, where you're saying, I want your feedback. I really, truly want your feedback. And I'm going to tell you the things that make me actually vulnerable um, in this conversation. If I'm able to do that um, with people in my life, I, I, probably don't need a therapist to do it. Hmm. Um, so, so being that kind of person um, and, and uh, to, to, uh, to allow others to do that to, with you yeah. and to do that for others would be something I'd, I'd, I'd really love to see happen in our it church. It sounds like the church at yeah. its best. Yeah. Good. Bobby, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us mm -hmm. today. Thank you for uh, sharing us, share with us who you are uh, and a little bit about the counseling world. Uh, yeah. For those who are listening who want to connect with you, yeah. Where can they do that? 
Well, uh, you are always welcome to meet me at the Streamwood campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I run the coffee cart. You will find me there every yes. Sunday. Yes. Uh, if you'd like to just correspond, uh, you can you can reach me at Bobby B O B B Y at rallypointcounseling.com. Uh, dot com, mm. uh, or if you're just looking for a therapist, yeah, same website rallypointcounseling.com. Great. All right, Bobby, again, thank you. This conversation has been rich, and I know I'm not alone to say that we've learned a ton here. (laughs) All right, friends, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Faith at Work. Our conversations happen every other week, so in two weeks, you can expect another interview to help you think critically about faith and work intersecting in creative and inspiring ways, because as we say it every time, every job matters. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your suggestions, questions, or ideas to workpodcast at ccclife.org. And lastly, tell your friends that their job matters too and invite them to join along in the conversation. We'll talk to you soon.